Hey everybody, welcome once again. This is Deconstructing the Psyche. This is Michael. This is Heyman. And here for another week, we got a new setup going. So we actually went through this whole process talking about the new setup last week, but some shit happened and we... <laughs> there's a there's a missing, uh, forever missing episode of the podcast that no one will ever hear, including ourselves. <laughs> It's probably a better thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was good. We did a we did a podcast on Gone Girl last week, <laughs> and it was and a pretty good podcast. Something happened where essentially the file completely got deleted, and it's nowhere to be found. And I just I feel like a little like Method Man right now. How so? <laughs> Method Man's first album, Tikal. What? That he created after after the Wu Tang started, uh, the story goes that he created the entire album and it was amazing. It was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the dopest album ever, and the entire album got destroyed in a flood. Oh, there was a flood in the basement of whatever place they made it in, and all the all the tapes were gone, and so he kind of tried to re-record the album but you know you can't really do that if you don't know exactly what you're doing or like what the songs were and he made to cal but apparently there was a lost to cal that never came out so i kind of feel like that's our gone girl episode that's the the masterpiece that never that never was <laughs> i actually wanted to write a post about it yeah not about losing it but about just uh, a reflection of, of that podcast just because of how <clears throat> fascinating yeah. the character is and yeah. the idea of persons, right? Personalities yeah. and the idea of the self being empty. And mm. maybe later I'll write about it, but I was inspired about a week ago mm. when after we did the podcast because it was such a great podcast. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe we'll explore it. Further down the line. Yeah, maybe we'll do. We'll come back to it at some point. I would yeah. love to. We have to move forward either yeah. way. But anyways, we. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was saying is that we've moved into a... I've moved into a new place, and therefore we've moved the recording studio inside. So we're inside now, a little bit more comfortable, um, <clears throat> a little less fluctuating in terms of uh, weather, <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, so we're inside and we're we're doing this from a new place, so we'll see we'll see how that uh, affects things going forward. It should go well. I I think it will. Yeah. Okay. So this week we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So another movie. Mm-hmm. I I I wanted to do this because I really like this movie. I mean, I would say that this is one of my favorite movies actually, and apparently. You don't think it's that good. You're just kind of like, it's okay. It's, it's like an all right movie. My favorite movie of Quentin Tarantino's is Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs. The classics. Those, those are certain of my favorite films. But yeah. I, do, I did see hints of it towards the end, but I don't yeah. think he was going for that in this okay. film. He was okay. going for something else. I don't but, think, I think his old movies, they hold up, but he definitely evolved as he went on in his career. And I think this was like a, a super evolution for Quentin Tarantino to make a film like this. Yeah. Tell me more. Nothing like his older films. What am I missing? Tell me more about it. Cause I saw it. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's an entertaining film. It was quite long. Yeah. But okay. Well, I mean, I think the, the thing that sticks out to me the most in terms of thematic elements of this movie is it's kind of like about the self-reflective nature of hollywood in a way Mm -hmm. and a and an attempt to show us a reflection of what hollywood is or what it is supposed to be and i think they do this in numerous ways um i mean even when i say that does that i don't know if that seems like it makes sense or resonates with you at all the self-reflective nature well how i take that is um the different relationships and the different connections Mm. right 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard for me to say this, take <clears throat> to take this film as fiction, because I know some of these the events that happened in the film were actually real, That's, and they were not okay. fictional. Yeah. So, like, I'm familiar with the story yeah. of Sharon Tate and yeah. the the Manson murders. Yeah. So, and... I think that's, that's... So you're kind of getting on that point of what I'm talking about with the... When you bring up fiction versus not fiction. Yeah. Like, what's real and what isn't? About Hollywood? I mean, I think it's... The whole movie is mm-hmm. about that in many, many different ways. Sure. What is real and what is not? And so... You know, straight off the bat, we're getting this story about Sharon Tate and about the Manson murders and about this night that's gone down in history. And then we're, but we're giving an alternate version of it, right? Right. And so that's right there. We're already starting off with what's, what's real and what's not, what's fantasy and what's and reality. What's reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I think there's a lot of places in this movie where, not only our characters, especially like Leonardo DiCaprio's character dealing with what's real and what's not, like what is what is his life actually versus what it's really not versus what he he wants it to be or what he imagines his life to be, mm-hmm. and he's kind of like struggling with that throughout a big por- portion of the movie. Maybe this is a so maybe we could talk about this idea of fact versus reality or fact versus fantasy throughout the movie but start off with rick cahill's character and and his his struggle with fact versus fantasy sure i mean that's that is and this is a psychological aspect of it too right he's kind of going through a midlife crisis correct Mm -hmm. this is what we were talking about before we started about that book the book that he's reading when he's sitting next to the child actor and it's about a guy going (laughs) kind of like having a midlife crisis kind of figuring out that he's on the way down and that his life is over in a way or that he's not as good as he used to be Hmm. and is this guy kind of trying to he's he's seeing that you know he's seeing that maybe i'm not as good as i was or or even how I th- good I thought I was, and that's hard for him. It seems. I think for even that <clears throat> kind of an actor, there's an expectation of who you were, and I think when mm. you taste that limelight <clears throat> for so long, and you have this ex- elation expectation that you're at the top. It's like a high, yeah, that he was on for so long, yeah. But then you know, I think one feels immortal at that top level. Mm. But once one comes back down, you start mm. to really feel your injuries. Yeah. Sort of like an athlete, you sort of feel, okay, I'm not immortal like I was when I was younger before. Yeah. Now they're looking for younger talent. Mm-hmm. And he's forced now to be no longer the good guy in yeah. the shows he's portraying. Yeah. Now he's casted as the bad yeah, man. He's, and the, and so, as the bad guy, they want to like because, put everything over him and make him look unrecognizable for the most part exactly the director is like i don't want you to look like you you're an actor i want you to act differently that scene is so hilarious when he's talking about that i mean it hurt it hurt him but it bruised his ego as well oh yeah for sure but but that was a big part of this movie his 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 bruised ego it's a part of you know the the idea of breaking out of that is just reframing you know framing how you perceive yourself and i think Mm. in life um, unless you which he ends up having to do. Well, right? he's forced to. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times in life, I think we're forced to really look at ourselves and say, Yeah. You know, am I the same person I was? Mm-hmm. I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. And should I be a coach now? Yeah. Because I'm no longer at that oh, top yeah. level anymore. Yeah. Should Sports I now be, now should I become something else? So you have to really mm-hmm. reframe or really just change the way you look at yourself now. You have to transition. You have to do things differently in some sense. There's a term for that, right? When There's a term for that whenever you just decide to become something different than you were previously, right? Mm. But you decide to go with the flow and not fight the current, but go with the current. Yeah. Reimagining, I think, is a term. Yeah. He has to reimagine himself. Yeah, definitely. And he did. I mean, he... He does that. He does that when in that scene with the girl when he's just improvising. 
you know, but he does such a good job that, that the director was just so impressed. He only took one take with that scene, but he was truly himself, mm. you know, and that's really... He had to become that evil guy in that scene, right? That was really he had to acting. become the bad guy. But then, yeah, he, he went back to the craft, which is acting. I think a part of their, their work is really <clears throat> accepting that you are the character and not the star. And a part of that, I think part of even the film is addressing the idea of being the star mm. versus being, you know, the actor, mm. being the self, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Manson's murders were interesting because uh, their motivation was really to fight against these kinds of people, these actors, these people who were famous because they were not that, Yeah. right? I think they wanted to sacrifice these people in the hills because they... They seem like they're untouchable. Yeah. Versus themselves, that they just seem like they're regular people. Mm. So there's sort of a natural hatred towards them. Mm. They wanted to de- deflate that ego, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was, in reality, that was probably the motivation for these murders. And I think it's interesting that that hint of that is put into the film mm. to talk about, you know, that contrast from one and the other, Hollywood versus reality. And we have another contrast of that as well when. Sharon Tate, the character, goes into the movie theater. Yeah. And she says totally. to, to the, the the cashier, right, when she's buying the ticket, she's like, I'm in this film. Yeah. But can I have, can I go in? Yeah. It was, it, I found that interesting well, it, because she didn't pay to yeah, go in. That, 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 scene, that scene is so strange, too, because... I don't know if you noticed this, but when she goes up to the counter and she asks her this... The, it's like this zoom in shot on both her and the and the ticket person. Yeah. But it's kind of like slanted, like it's off to the side. Mm-hmm. It's not like a straight shot. And I think usually when they're doing that, it's kind of trying to give you the impression that like there's something strange about what's going on here. And it's like not what you maybe like not what a person would usually do or not what like a a normal situation no, is a normal and it person. was but it was like strange that she would do that right that she yeah. would have to why isn't that she would have to say like hey that's me like i can you give me free into this movie for 75 cents which so is like what does nothing. that mean can you get me in free there's sort of a sense of entitlement when it comes to these <sighs> yeah actors or actresses especially if hey i'm in this <clears> film but she gets paid a lot of money. I mean, look at the home. She's married to Roman Polanski. Mm. He's a director, right? He's grand director yeah, at that point. Yeah. But no, it's sort of like the expectation is, I'm in this film. Can I get in? I isn't. But that yeah, for me, it's like, it's, hey, pay the seventy five. I cents. feel like she was living a sort of a fantasy life. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like she's going to the the Playboy Mansion and she's getting driven around with. Roman Polanski and she has these you know two boyfriends essentially yeah and like yeah like the part where she goes into the movie theater and asks them to let her in free it's she was living a very strange life even the taking that picture yeah yeah next to her poster and the way she did sort of the Charlie's Angels yeah yeah you know pose Uh um that was odd because she's only living in this idea of this fantasy of I'm a movie star. Mm. And going back to what we were saying earlier, I think it's exploring that, punching mm. a hole into that. Mm. And I think it's also the same thing with punching a hole into the ego of the movie star, the grand person with Jackie, no, no, Bruce Lee mm. and um, Brad Pitt's character. Yeah. You know, Bruce Lee is giving this grand philosophy of like this is so this is another example of the fantasy versus the reality right because it's like there's a fantasy of who bruce lee is and maybe even who bruce lee thought he was yeah and then it gets kind of like destroyed right you you people now like michael j white he's like yeah an action star if you you know Mm -hmm. he is right Mm -hmm. he's an african-american okay um martial artist he's an actor he's on Mm-hmm. Blood and Bone, one of those movies. He's mm-hmm. in a lot of movies. Um, he's giving an interview to a guy named Bla- Blad. Just a, it's on YouTube, 
And he talks about Bruce Lee, and he's like, hey, could you beat up Bruce Lee? He's like, yeah, I could beat up Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, Michael J. White is Kyokushin, mm. you know, black belt. Okay. I don't know how many degrees. Okay. But there's this idea that Bruce Lee had this philosophy yeah. of, I mean, it was good. It's a martial artist philosophy. Yeah. You know, he believed in his own story. He believed in this thing, and he was preaching, in, in the film at least, he was preaching to these guys. He's like, I... I can kill somebody. Yeah, who or are these like, people that are listening to them? They're just a bunch of people on a movie set. They're, right? they're the crew. It's like, <laughs> I can kill this person. And all those people are like, they're going to eat that shit up half the time, right? Well, they have to. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, yeah, maybe there's like not only the fact that they're kind of like, oh, I'm surrounded by this this famous person, but maybe also, like you're saying, they feel like they just kind of have to go along with it because this is such a famous person. But it's interesting because... <clears throat> Sharon Tate, at least the Sharon Tate in the film, took karate or yeah. kung fu lessons yeah. from. Yeah, from so did her Lee. her boyfriend, right? Roman Polanski, right? No, or, that was uh, Jay Siegel, her other the Jay other Siegel. boyfriend. Okay, yeah, he took karate lessons. Yeah. It's like they all hang out with each yeah, other. Yeah. And they all believe it's like the the thing to do, like the cool thing to do, is get karate lessons from Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, it's like the cool thing to do, but they all believe in their own bullshit totally because they're creating a sense of reality which is truly a facade totally even going into the idea of the playboy mansion the playboy mansion is a huge fantasy that, oh for sure what was it the stag club before yeah you know it was like they're trying to sell you an idea a of, lifestyle yeah so they went into the club the playboy mansion they go into this fantasy that they're creating because mm. it's a hollywood golden era mm. idea of like this this thing that we, and it still happens today, this thing that we create, which is untrue and it's not real, you know? And yeah, um, I think the film is really talking about that. I just, so we're seeing how like all the, all the characters in this movie are, this is part of their life in some way. What's real, what's not, what's fantasy, what's reality. It's hard to manage that. I think because yeah, Nowadays, you know, all these actors have left Hollywood. Mm. Brad Pitt said he moved to the, the what is it, the middle of California towards the coast, okay, Central Coast. Mark Wahlberg left to Arizona. Mm. A lot of these actors are selling their mansions because mm. there's a tax on mansions now. Mm. But also, they're leaving. They're leaving the state or going further than Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, in reality, I think Hollywood is really played out. For sure, you know, and it's like. Well, there's so much, there's so much involved in having to uphold those appearances and to be well, look, that Hollywood person. This other bullshit that is Hollywood. This it's not even Hollywood, but the music industry and Hollywood go hand in hand. It's yeah. also some fake reality that they create. There's this guy, Sam Smith, mm. who's a pretty good singer. Mm. And I'm not hating on that, but then he goes on and dresses like the fucking devil. Some mm. It's some ridiculous, yeah, unrealistic Hollywood thing where it doesn't have anything to do with the art form. Yeah, and I think there's an authenticity in the art form of singing mm. that, like a Sam Smith had, <clears throat> or in, at least in the film we watched, there's an authenticity in the art of acting, mm. which is what Leonardo DiCaprio's character had. Yeah, when he when he cut the bullshit. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good fucking actor. For sure. Right. For sure. Yeah. It's sort of like you see sort of the transformation, at least in that part of the film where he's like, okay, I'm old. Yeah. But and he, he, that's what, that's a big part of it, right? He's transitioning almost like it's a, a rite of passage for him going into adulthood. And you see that with the way that he has to kind of like take on movies that he normally wouldn't do. He gets a, a wife. Yeah. He comes back and then he also has to decide to part from His Brad Pitt's character. More which than is, a brother and less than a wife. Yeah. But but Brad Pitt's character essentially operated like uh somebody that Leonardo DiCaprio was dependent on. I think today now they're called assistants. Yeah. But it was like, I can't, it was almost like he couldn't live his life without him. He was his driver. Yeah. He was his stuntman. He was kind of his, like his therapist in a way. He was his, his friend. He did everything for him. That's his assistant. And so that was a a thing for uh, Rick Cahill too, is I have to kind of be a 
a man or an adult now and I can't hold on to this person who's kind of been doing everything for me for my whole life, you know? Yeah, he has to grow up. But I don't know how that's going to go because, you know, even at the end of the movie, Brad Pitt is the one who still does everything. (laughs) He takes care of all the business at the end when uh, Rick's in the fucking pool and has no idea what's going on. Like, if if Brad Pitt wasn't there, Mm -hmm. him and his wife would be dead, right? Yeah. But he was there and he saved his ass, so I don't know what's going to happen to Rick Cahill in the future if he doesn't have that guy protecting him all the time and doing everything for him i think is i think it's gonna come he's gonna have some disastrous end probably i think it's also what he's describing in in that part of the film is also a commentary on you know the passivity that a lot of these hollywood types Mm. do exhibit they're not involved in their life in some they're not involved in a lot of aspects of their lives yeah I think similar we have people who have made money but there are a lot who aren't they just have managers mm-hmm. i don't know very many i've only heard and read the stories about it but like that their managers do everything they like tell them what to do essentially bas- basically or they schedule them here they yeah. schedule them there and there's sort of this burnout where there's like an upset that hey why, why don't i have any control you know yeah because you can't you can't have control of it because you wouldn't know what the fuck you were doing. Yeah, they relinquish that control. They let the studio, along with their assistants or yeah. the managers, tell them what to do yeah. and where to go, and they have no real control or autonomy. <laughs> that, and, I mean, that that's... is his life in that movie, though, Rick Cahill, even until the a, end. It's a commentary on that. Yeah, totally. You know, and for some people, they they would rather do what Rick Cahill does, which yeah. is... Just tell me where to go. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what to do. <laughs> Drive me around. And I'll act. Oh my I'll just gosh. do the acting, but you tell me what to do. Yeah. And sort of yeah. like, and you, I, you okay. stage me. Okay, this is so interesting too, because every time I, I, I've watched this movie like three or four times now, and mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I got the same feeling as when I'm watching it this last time, is it feels like you're watching a dream. Hmm. It's very dreamlike the way it, it kind of transitions, and they, they have the radio playing in between a bunch of the scenes, and the like. The when they're dri- they're driving everywhere in like cars with the windows open or the tops down. Is there a song that's called that Hollywood Dreaming? I think that song was playing. I think too. that song is in the movie. Yeah, but it's it's very dreamlike, and I think it's related to what you're just talking about in that. It's almost like the characters are in a dream and in some dream where things are just like, they're just like floating along, you know, they're just kind of like things are just happening and they don't really have any real control over it. And it's just like, I'm, I'm in this cloud or this nebulous sphere that's moving probably, along in my life. That's probably why, I mean, at the last scene where he murders that one chick, like he just has Leo's character just floating on his fucking fucking yeah. pool on a on a raft, drinking alcohol and then listening to this to yeah. the radio just being and on the on the edge of the hills too where you it's like the pool is meeting the air and the sky in a way too. What do you call that? The it's not like an infinity pool, but it it's like, like the old version of an infinity pool, right? Yeah, it's an infinity <laughs> pool. But you see that, and it's like as soon as the girl comes in, as a brow stab, reality mm. hits. Mm. And I think it's all leading up to that moment. And I think that's what he was really depicting in that film. Yeah. That part of it is a dream. Yeah. You're living a dream at some point in Hollywood. And then at some point you get hit with reality. Mm. And the reality could be someone's trying to murder you yeah the reality could be a lawsuit mm-hmm. right the reality could be the reality could be you you've lost some money as well like yeah. nicholas cage was one person who went into serious debt yeah a lot of actors yeah will go into serious debt when they make all that money yeah and some some i don't know about him but some people who've had money in the past haven't had money in the past actually 
and get a large sum of money end up spending it all yeah for sure because there is no real there's no one saying no to you as well definitely right and i think that's something that some of the characters i think have to face to the reality of no yeah you know and setting boundaries for people Mm. um in brad's pitt's character right he goes into the ranch Mm. he speaks Mm. to the young lady the woman who's in charge of taking care of the old man or whatever she's pissed yeah i thought that was an interesting dialogue between him and her there's real thought happening real thinking happening yeah so there's, there's a real dialogue happening um when brad pitt talks to the woman she's 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 like how do you know what's old george guy's? george how do you know george, george? Bond. he's like oh george i've known george yeah for eight when was the last time you seen george he's like, yeah. oh the last time i seen george yeah was eight years ago mm-hmm. and i thought it was interesting because if he would have said i saw him last week she'd have known that he'd been yeah. lying yeah. But he said eight years ago, and she's like, you're such a good friend. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I am a good friend. What is Brad Pitt's uh, name in the movie again? I forget his name. Yeah. I I um, I kind of see him as like a social worker in that part of the movie. He's acting like a social worker. Because he, he, when he meets the girl that he picks up, he... He hears her wanting to go to Chatsworth, and then he kind of investigates a little bit, and he's like, "Oh, you're going to see George," and so I don't think he was actually planning on taking her anywhere until he heard that, and then mm-hmm. he's like, "All right, yeah, hop on in. I'll take you over to Chatsworth," and he decides to go over there solely to check up on this guy and make sure that he's all right, and it's like it's kind of. It's very interesting because we're presented with another part of Brad Pitt who has, might have killed his wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we have this other part where he's totally doing a a thing that is nobody's telling him to do that, right? Yeah. It's just because he was like, I got to make sure this guy's okay. I got to check on it. There's no incentive involved. It's like a very pure act on his part of like trying to help this guy out. And even when he talks to him and he finds out mm-hmm. that the guy is doing okay and he like wants to be there and he doesn't mind that those the Manson family's there, he's like, "All right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna leave." And that's kind of what a social worker have, have to do in that situation too. Is like, I guess I can't do anything about it, and now I'm I have to go. And he put himself in danger too, right? He put himself at serious risk by going out there. But I just oh. thought it was so interesting that he made that decision to to do that and completely unprovoked you know I, th- I think there's something about his character it's just his character i think this is just quentin tarantino's style actually where the characters just have the smart dialogue yeah but know. he he's also like there's there's usually some character in quentin tarantino's movie who is kind of a more upstanding person mm-hmm. somebody who is Are you commenting on the morality of yeah the yeah maybe and maybe that would be like jewels right we talked about um pulp fiction we did a podcast on pulp fiction mm-hmm. that would be like jewels in that movie where he's kind of like the more the person who's somewhat upright the, the the moral center in a way the guy who's trying to like live some type of honest life in some way you know but you have to be bad to also be good totally and Jules Jules is one of those characters who's not morally a good person and maybe that's the same thing with Brad Pitt right exactly but Jules has to be this person who's a bad guy to understand Mm. sometimes to understand Cliff is uh, Brad Pitt's name and Jules is the one I'm talking about where in, in Pulp Fiction one has to take on the role of being that person to understand that's true the other person maybe it goes back to your commentary on being the social worker yeah where if you do have this sort of smart sort of dialogue Mm. you're not that as smart because he's meeting the person where they're at Mm. typically a social worker or any sort of yeah totally clinician will meet the patient where they are a mental health clinician doctors typically don't Mm -hmm. physicians Right, but a mental health clinician will meet the patient where they're at, understanding, okay, if you're talking to me like I'm shit, well, I'll be shit. Yeah. When um, Cliff meets uh, Rex, Tex, actually. Tex. He meets Tex, <laughs> and um, Tex is checking him out. Cliff tells him, you know what? I was in the chain gang 
before Changgang means mm. like you're in jail before and yeah, you're doing yeah. a hard time. Yeah. So he sort of gave him the understanding. He's like, I'm the type of person who has done a hard time for mm. a crime that I've committed in the mm. past. So I'm also a criminal likely like you mm. are, mm. you know? So he goes in there with the understanding. He checked it out, but he goes yeah. in there then with the understanding of I'm not a good guy. Yeah. I'm actually a bad guy. Mm. And it's interesting how this is how he carries himself. Yeah. Not good nor bad. Yeah. But I'm being real with you. Yeah. And I'll meet you where you're at. Yeah. And I'll call your bullshit. But that's, I think that's true. What you're saying though, is that the, the reformed criminal Mm -hmm. or the reform reformed, like bad person, if you will, is the only one that can kind of like deal with, real bad people you know because they know like you're saying they know what that who that is like they've been that person and so that reminds me a lot of christianity as well okay i say some of the best christians are those who have been through some mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm. who have experienced yeah. life in a certain way sinned for sure before, and they become one of those people that you know i've known the worst of people yeah definitely and i want to become the better of them because i've been i've been there you know, and he's one of those characters who, who is reformed in a way because he's probably been there, mm. you know? Yeah, because you're, uh, what you're talking about, though, is a person who is choosing to actively resist the dark side, you know? They're they're having to I deny think, that part and I, I move away it, from it. I don't think it's denying it. I think it's accepting it. Well, accepting it as part of you, but... You're cho- you're also choosing not to live a certain way anymore, though. That's what I'm no. talking about. He well, he's not. He's. I don't think there's the there's sort of him being a bad person in it. There's question whether he murdered his wife or not. Yeah, but we also but, don't know when that happened. But there, there, he has the ability to be a bad person, right? Yeah. Jordan Peterson talks about this as well. Like he talks about people who do martial arts, you know, because you're trying to control that side of your men typically. <clears throat> You have the ability for aggression. Mm, mm. And Cliff has the ability for aggression, right? Yeah. When the guy popped his tire, he was pissed. Yeah. He was pissed. So he gets what he does. He goes up to the guy, yeah. punches him in the face, grabs his fucking spare tire, and is like, fix it. Well, Tell but him. that also seems like it's you're using evil or badness for mm-hmm. the right reasons because that seems like it was the fair it's the fair thing to do in that situation typically a person would not punch another person in the face yeah another a person who is morally virtuous who's denying yeah. what you said earlier denying yeah. okay that the dark side yeah. of themselves would not go up to the person and punish yeah. them and that 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 is also not a christian thing to do i think mm-hmm. christianity would be against that sort of thing right mm-hmm. But he's also being real. He, like he is the man who's he will use aggression if yeah. it's called for. Yeah. Like he did with Bruce Lee and beat his ass. <laughs> but like with this guy, like fix the fucking tire. He didn't even really beat Bruce's ass though, because Bruce Lee was trying to like jump kick him and he just threw him into the <laughs> car. He kicked his ass. I think he did. He I mean, the... when they're fighting they're very evenly matched for sure. If a guy throws you into a car. Yeah. But he, he basically used <laughs> Bruce Lee's tactics against him, right? Because it, it's kind of like, and it's funny too, because I think Bruce Lee used to talk about being like water. Yeah. Isn't that one of the things he would say? Like, you got to be like water in some way, or that's like a Kung Fu type thing. I think you have to go with the flow of the energy. Yeah. And that's what he did there, though. He he just used Bruce Lee's for, uh, momentum against him, and, and that's yeah. all he did. It was just like a... A keto move. Yeah. He was like, he pulled some uh, a fast one on him, essentially. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sort of like a matador with a yeah. bull. And he, yeah. I think really what you're talking about there is Bruce Lee was being too emotional. Oh, yeah. And he was very emotional when he did that kick and thought that yeah. he could get away with it. But... You know, go back to the... Mm-hmm. The Manson family, though, mm-hmm. and, like, the stuff that was going on at Ranch, I think that was another good example of the fantasy versus reality, though, in that, you know, and I think this was a commentary on the hippie culture overall and the culture that was kind of coming up at that time but 
they preached a lot of, you know, in the beginning, they're singing this song, you know, and they're singing this song about all is one, all is one. And that was the same thing that Manson was like, he was like brainwashing them with. And he was, Manson was a, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I didn't listen to a lot of interviews with him, but he seemed like a very intelligent person and they were using a lot of LSD, uh, but they, but they are also using a lot of, um, a lot of the uh, things that they were saying and uh, kind of like the spiritual essence of whatever their cult was there. It, it's not like it was all bullshit. There was something there that resonated and it was maybe taken from, you know, spiritualism in the past, but it was very distorted and it was not connected to the way that they the way that they were living so they're saying all these things about everybody being one and like we need to have like peace and harmony meanwhile they're plotting on killing people and they're <laughs> thinking that certain people should live and other people should die and this kind of stuff and it's like it's you're seeing how people are living in this fantasy of well because i say these things and because i live a certain way in terms of the clothing and like how i dress that that means something, but your actions say a completely different thing, and that's the reality of it. Usually, is whatever your behaviors or actions are. You know, in the reality, the drug use, having the specific dialogue, to me, you know, the pop, the you know, the population that he was working with, mm-hmm. is what really helped him to influence. Um, his followers yeah and it's interesting how Instagram is sort of like that as well where it does create this idea of an echo chamber Mm. if you have enough people all together and they all start to really believe in one thing they can become instantly influenced yeah and the belief in one thing is that we all develop a language that we all share together um It gets me to the idea of what I was thinking about the other day. I shared with you about um, specific items at at my current, my role, right? Mm. At at a role that I work at. There is in, I guess, modern times now, the idea of objective reality versus subjective reality and how to define one, (laughs) one preset law that's already written. It's not like a law in legal terms, but a law in yeah. uh, the body's <clears throat> dynamics, right? Yeah. And the body meaning male versus female. Okay. Right? And how there's objective reality versus subjective reality, but we use subjective 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 terms to describe objective reality. Mm. And and I think it's important for people to have opposing views, contradicting views. Yeah. To play devil's advocate in a way. We often do that when we have our podcasts. Yeah. And it's important to have that because we could all fall into this idea of just following aimlessly without really questioning who the speaker really is, you know? True. And it's important to really question the speaker. Yeah. Because in reality, these Manson types how could they have affected change at all if they're going to murder a Hollywood person? Mm. If you murder one person, how would that change capitalism or whatever mm. the motivation was? Because mm. I think a part of the motivation was let's destroy the capitalist yeah. and let's embrace communism yeah. and let's embrace this ideology that we all have. Mm-hmm. Murdering one person will not change a whole governmental ideology. No. It really won't. Yeah. So if you actually throw that idea into the mix... yeah it would really contradict someone like a Charles Manson. Yeah. You know, and I would break from that kind of reality that this influencer is creating, Mm. you know, and it's important to have opposing views. You know, they used to think that that was a mark of intelligence, having contradictory ideas, having one idea and then having the one that the opposing argument in mind. Mm. I think it's called a Hegelian sort of, Oh, yeah. Argument, right? Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Yeah. But that's critical thinking. Mm. That's, those are things that should really be taught in schools. Mm. How to think critically of what yeah. what reality is. Yeah. Objective versus subjective yeah. reality. And, uh, what is objective? What is our truth versus yeah. what is their truth? And what do we believe? And it seems like, you know, maybe that you're making a good point is that the that group... And maybe this is what's happening with like a lot of cults is they're so cut off 
from other ideas and from anybody outside of their like that's little bubble echo chamber. Yeah. And so that's mm-hmm. all they come to know. And anything that's opposing to that is considered wrong. And, and so, yeah, it's easy to just believe in that and feel like that's the only way. And that's what they were doing. They were just, they, they just decided like, this is, this is the the thing and there's no other option out there and we're not going to, we're not going to be open at all, which is the opposite of what, you know, they're talking a lot of hippie culture would talk about, you need to be open-minded, man. No, don't, don't be closed off. And, but what were they doing? The actual opposite of that in that they were the ones that were closed off. Exactly. They fall into the problem with the ideology being mm-hmm. a fanatical ideologist. Yeah, totally. And a lot of people do this, you know, a lot of the, even today with people who are woke, so woke, but they're it's so not afraid. open-minded at all. And it's not, it's very closed-minded. And, yeah. Um, I've had conversations with some therapists who, um, or very woke, very liberal, mm-hmm. but very close-minded as well. And it's interesting to have these conversations, but you can tell that there's obviously an influence by the grander culture upon them. Yeah, And it's quite sad because, you know, as clinicians, as a clinician, one should be open-minded or willing at least to admit their faults, mm. right? And if you're willing to admit your fault, you're at least willing to grow. Yeah. Um, I think anyone can fall into that kind of an error. Yeah. But mostly I just take issue with that really where you allow the greater culture to really define how you think and who you are. Mm -hmm. I think there's a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think people like we're talking about, they're coming to conclusions or they're wanting to come to conclusions. They're (laughs) wanting to, have some final answer and that's always cutting you off from the truth or from whatever potential truth there could be. So I had a conversation with a person they talked to me about toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and they're defining it for me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think I've talked about a previous podcast. Okay. So I'm like, I look it up, toxic masculinity and a professor, a real college professor says, He's had students just use the term, but he's like, all right, if you're going to use the term toxic masculinity, mm. at least define what it is. Mm. Don't tell me that things are toxic. Yeah. Tell me what toxic means. Definitely. And Break it down a little bit. That's what I take issue with some even therapeutic texts that I've read about beyond, which, you know, I had to discard or cross out because this therapist who wrote that text was saying trauma in every trauma in every fucking paragraph mm. trauma this trauma that everything's but, traumatic everything's traumatic if dude if i can look at the light right now that shit's gonna traumatize my fucking vision anything's traumatic but the yeah. reality is no like not the reality is there is real trauma that people experience right yeah. car accidents yeah there is defined ptsd from things that yeah. have happened or yeah. traumatic experiences mm. Not everything is going to be fucking yeah. traumatic. You can't just use that term yeah. to make such a broad statement. Just because something's stressful or is difficult doesn't mean it's traumatic. Exactly. And I, I think clinicians do such a bad job, mm. you know, at defining the term trauma and mm. everything they see or they speak of. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's such a go-to term that I think should be taken out of a person's vocabulary. Define what you really mean by trauma so I can understand and even respect what you're saying to me. Yeah. Because if something's trauma, what does that mean? You know, and I think really the, the what we really need to ask is, what are you fucking saying? Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. And going, I guess really I get to this point because going back to cults, mm. it's really about, okay, who is this person? What is he trying or is she trying to teach you right now? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is their message? Yeah. And if you don't agree with it, then leave. Mm. But I don't know if they have the ability, either the ability or the will or, um, yeah. The understanding. The choice. Yeah. They do, right? One of the women left, mm. right? When they she were did. murdered. But there's a need that it serves. 
cults sometimes serve as shelters. Yeah. They sometimes serve as love. Mm. The connection that one needs because mm. they don't gain that from other places. Mm. Right. So there's a need that it serves a person. And I think individually you'd have to understand what sort of need yeah. is serving you. Totally. Is it a place of shelter? Is it a place to feed yourself? Right. Is it a place where you seek love or, you know, understanding? And if it is, why is that missing from yeah. your life? Yeah. Is it because you didn't receive that as a child? Sure. Is it that you yearn for that now as an adult? Well, right? let me let me ask you something. Maybe we can tie this back into the rest of the movie now. Because all the things you were just describing about maybe what the cult is giving to an individual, I'm wondering if we can use those descriptors to also say like that's what hollywood is hmm. well it seems like <laughs> sharing, well, hollywood as a type of cult i think that sure. people are in <laughs> yeah i think it is i think it's also commenting on that but sharon was living in a fantasy the cult also gives you an idea of a fantasy mm. right the one is the bad side of it the murderous side of it mm-hmm. the cults right mm-hmm. and the other side of it is partying and yeah. enjoyment of life yeah you know without the murder but there's still a facade in both one is actually both are actually for a gain of something right you're gaining something out of it her relationship with her husband made it seem like she's she left her fiance for this man who gave her so much because she wanted something out of it even that love and the validation stuff you're talking about you know when I think back to her going to see herself in that movie and um watching herself i'm like this is a it was a ridiculous movie right it's just like a slapstick comedy Mm -hmm. and it it totally has no there's no meaning in it there's nothing really relevant about this movie and you're but she's made to feel by watching herself and by all these people laughing at her that she's so important She's being admired. Yeah, I'm I'm a very important person because I'm playing some klutz on a movie screen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Why is that why does that matter at all? Why is that important? I don't know what what is this changing about anything? Is it really doing anything in the world? I don't know. But maybe that or we're saying like there's a cult, there's a Hollywood cult not only the people who run Hollywood, but everybody that subscribes to it and watches the movies. And they're, we're kind of like all supporting this person or these people in terms of these ridiculous roles and movies that people well, are in all the time. If you break it down, I mean, the Playboy, <clears throat> the Playboy Mansion, and we've talked about reality that we describe, the reality that we create. Mm-hmm. If you weren't there, if you weren't feeding into the lifestyle, then it wouldn't matter. It'd yeah. just be just an empty place with all these happy Yeah, women. exactly. This old man who's a pervert. Yeah. Or a young man during that time. Maybe you start pervert. to see him as a, who, who he really is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think we, at least they start to agree, agree upon a certain truth. Mm. You know, and you wouldn't be invited there unless you're somebody or unless you could afford to be there to buy a ticket to be in the mansion during yeah. that time because yeah. money's what money is what gets you in sometimes yeah. or yeah. knowing the right person is what gets you in the door. So, so take that into account with this movie that mm-hmm. Sharon Tate's in. What if you all of a sudden take all the, all the fans away and nobody liked this movie and mm-hmm. she's in this movie theater and there's nobody there well, I mean, and it's not being accepted. Then what does that do? It turns her into a very sad person then. And a person who almost has, no life because nobody's watching her and nobody's paying attention to her anymore. Well, I think from what you're saying is that she's not a person without, you know, Hollywood, without having that role. Who right? knows? That's she's really I mean, I, w- I wonder. She would be the person who's going to marry that guy. Yeah. Because she's defined, I think she's one of those people who are defined by the parent person they're with. Mm-hmm. You know, and seeking her identity, she's defined by her her as an actress. But he's also a person who made her who she was, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but the, it's... I, I think you see a glimpse of that when 
she's trying to buy a ticket and the woman doesn't even recognize her. She's like, are you in this film? Yeah. And I'm like, who are you? Yeah. You know, I'm Sharon Tate. She had to make sure that she knew. Look, I'm the person. Oh, that's that you. Then the other guy came in and it's like, is this her? Oh yeah, it is her. Yeah. It's not like a big deal. It's like, oh, it's you. But this is the, this is what's true with, uh, Rick Cahill. Mm -hmm. And or Leonardo DiCaprio's character too is he's only relevant if he's being seen and if he's being viewed and if he's not if he's not getting the views if he's not being seen then it's almost like his life is nothing. I think it's it, it, it's like what what do I do then? It's talking about an emptiness. I think about yeah, these totally. people without having actual personality. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this guy who's an actor now. He's always been an actor, a young guy. He comes out, I think, in a Netflix movie, an agent movie. It's a, no, it's a show. It's an agent show. Okay. And he went on Jimmy Fallon, and Jimmy Fallon pulls out these pictures of him. He's, like, building a wall, and he's like, yeah, you're, I'm a certified welder. I'm yeah. a stonemason. Yeah. And he talks about being the ego. He's like, yeah, Hollywood gives you this ego, but... Like this, mm. this, this wall that I built, he was talking about his philosophy. He's like this wall that I built, this wall that I built is going to last a long time. Yeah, yeah. And like my show is going to end eventually. Yeah. But this wall is always going to be there and I built something that's sturdy and useful. But you know, the show might not last forever. Mm. So people might not watch it, but mm. this is always going to be someone's mm. serve somebody. And I built something that's going to last a long time with yeah. my hands. Yeah. And Jimmy Fallon laughs. He's like, oh, you're so funny. I want to have you on my show again, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, this guy doesn't understand it. Yeah, right? he doesn't. And the actor understood what he was saying. But he's also a fighter, too. That's so funny. He's a, He does judo mm. and um, kickboxing. Mm -hmm. But he, he has this martial arts philosophy of the ego. It's like, dude, Hollywood creates this ego mm. for you. When in reality, like, I did a real late manual labor jobs. Yeah. And this is... I'm a real person. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon laughs, and I found that so interesting. I'm like, well, you know, Jimmy Fallon's an empty shell, too. He looks, but the interesting thing is this the guy says, at least it beats, you know, I left Hollywood and I didn't become depressed. Mm. He says that Jimmy Fallon kind of laughs. Yeah. And we've talked about him before, like how he seems, like you could see the look in his eyes or the behind his eyes. You could yeah. see, like, he's like very desperate. Fuck yeah. And that, the, the look behind his eyes, you could see like yeah. something's missing about yeah. him. Yeah. So like he, he starts to laugh about this guy's philosophy, but it's true. Mm. Like in reality, like mm -hmm. he's like, I went in there and I did a job. Yeah. But I didn't do the job alone. Yeah. I did the job with an editor. I did the job with you know the crewmen. But I did my job as an actor. Yeah. I can't take all the credit. Yeah. These people made me who I am. Yeah. And that was interesting because that was a real take on who this person really is yeah. in the world of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You're talking about <clears throat> the whole spectrum rather than just me, the star. He's like, I'm just myself. Yeah. And I, and I think it blew his mind because he's like, no, but I'm I'm Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. I am the name. Mm. Going back to our film, I think a lot of our characters have like, I am this person. The persona. I am the person. Why don't you let me into the yeah, theater? Yeah. No. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. And yeah. I think part yeah. of like even the Manson murders were motivated by let's kill somebody who's at that mm. level. Let's kill these rich types. Well, yeah, because I mean, even with that, that is an ego thing, right? It's an ego thing for Manson. It's an ego thing for the the killers, and you can see this if you watch like Mind Hunter, and it's all the serial killers. It's like you become you become immortalized or your ego becomes immortalized through who you kill. And so you kill somebody famous. That's, that's not about them. That's about you wanting to kill somebody famous. And that's an ego thing that they don't realize that that's all ego, that what they're doing there, you know? Um, but the, I think, you know, Cliff's character is a good foil then for Rick Cahill in that, he is somebody who is not about that life as much, right? Like he doesn't care if he kicks Bruce's Bruce Lee's ass and is truthful with him. He doesn't care if he gets kicked off the set because he needs to be like 
authentic in some way. He actually, he, I guess he didn't care if he killed his wife because he couldn't put up with her, <laughs> her anymore. I guess it's okay for him to go to the Manson place and help George Spawn and risk his life basically because he thought that was the thing that he needed to do. He was, he was kind of like the non ego person in that world. And even when Leonardo DiCaprio says, I can't have you work for me anymore. He's like, I guess that's where, I guess that's the deal. And I'm, I gotta go somewhere else. And it was like, well, I, I'm leaving this behind now. I'm doing something else, you know? Yeah, I think that's important. I think that's really important. <clears throat> he does this in a lot of his other movies too, where there's that dialogue, the real dialogue of cut the shit. Let's mm. talk as people who are true. Mm. You know, um, <laughs> it's interesting because you could see it too whenever you're like with partners or whenever there's like, there's uh, the facade that one creates. Mm-hmm. And I wish with the podcast of Gone Girl you know we've had it in our, in our collection but we talked about this sort of thing too yeah or we create this dialogue or this fantasy with each other yeah but there's a reality mm. and cliff's character brad pitt's character is the reality mm. in the sense of okay how old are you yes I'm exactly not about, i'm not a girl's just trying to be like can i make it worth your while to drive me in chats yeah he's like i'm <laughs> no i don't want to get in trouble yeah, or whatever. yeah. Well, how old are you she's yeah. like i'm old enough to know what that is he's like do you have id and he's like well you don't since yeah. you're telling me that you're old enough to know what it is mm-hmm. i take it you don't have id yeah. so then i take it you're not old enough to to, to do this yeah. to me and i'm old enough to know that i'm not going to go to jail for you yeah so he's the one who's who, who's he keeping more, it grounded more. he's keeping it grounded but he's keeping it based in reality yeah you know i just found that character really interesting for sure for sure <laughs> and then he does he does the fucking lsd laced <laughs> uh cigarette yeah that was a great ending I that was I, a good ending. i think that was i think it was a pretty serious film yeah and then it gets to that point where he's just letting loose and being yeah old quentin tarantino yeah the for board. sure for and sure that was that was good that was a good ending too. i thought that was why that ending was so awesome because like kind of like just what you're saying is that we we didn't have a traditional tarantino film until that point basically and yeah. he held it off till the end and it's like you kind of get what you want if you're looking for that Tarantino uh, theme, but then the rest of the movie is very different. And yeah, it just seems like for me, I don't know. It, I think for me, it just ends just too nicely mm. in the sense that the good guys win. But that's the fantasy. I think that's what I'm going back to this theme, and you know, we're we're about to end here, but. That's the fantasy, right? It's 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 the once upon a time. That's the that's what they put on the screen as we're seeing this like thing wrapped up with a nice little bow, and that's what maybe Hollywood's trying to show us all the time is the Hollywood ending, right? The 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 thing that ends with a in a picture perfect way, and. That's not how it is usually, but that's what we're being presented all the time. That's what yeah. we're being shown. She ends up talking to Leo. She's safe and sound. Yeah. Sharon Tate yeah. is safe and sound, and she invites Leo up to, for for a drink. Yeah. And that that's the ending, but in reality, that's not what really happened. Obviously. She yeah. was murdered. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right, well, I think we'll end. What's the next one? So we were thinking about one of your couple of your favorite movies we're going to try to do because we've done a lot of movies that haven't been like your favorites and so mm-hmm. you said drive and miami vice so which one do you want to do next week man i've seen drive like so many times in miami vice you know what i want to do i want to do an anime i want to do akira and see what that you want to do that next week instead we could do that later what do you want to do next week do you want to do miami vice yeah, let's do that. Know. Yeah, let's do Miami Vice. Really? Yeah. That's like, Miami Vice is my 2 a.m. Like, <laughs> come home from drinking. You put that on. I guess you're going to have to do a late night. Chill the fuck get out. Drinking, go drink out. But Drive is also that movie for okay. me. Okay. And also, oh. Let's just do Miami Vice. Let's, let's call it a day. Steve McQueen's movie. I don't know. Do you know that movie? Bullet. 
That's uh, another okay. 2 a.m. movie. Okay. No dialogue. Do you want to do Bullet? No. Let's do Miami Vice. Like, bullet is just like Drive. No, let's do There's Miami Vice. There's no dialogue, Vice. and it's so sick. Let's do Miami Vice. We'll do Miami Vice. All right. Okay. All right. So we're going to end there. Uh, <laughs> appreciate your time as always. I appreciate yours. We'll talk about Miami Vice next week. All right. Sounds uh, good. This has been Deconstructing the Psyche. This is Michael. Zayman. And uh, peace out. Take care. Bye.